You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. In Genesis 29 is where we're going to be this morning. Genesis 29. And as you find it, uh, go ahead and stand with me in honor of the reading of the scripture today. Genesis 29. It's good to be back here at Eastside Baptist Church in this pulpit. And uh, we're, uh, we've got some, something going on up there. Okay. Um, so maybe they're telling me uh, this, this is my outline for the morning here. Okay. So um, that's all right. It's short. It's blank, actually. So the sound guys are giving me some kind of a clue here. Make it short. But uh, Genesis 29 today. And is where we're going to be. I'm thankful to be back. We were in Idaho um, this week, last week, was able to preach at a meeting up there for Jonathan Pyle, who's preached here, and uh, he'll be preaching here again in April. Looking forward to that, but we had some good time as a family. Our whole family, except for Olivia, was able to go, and uh, we sang, provided special music, and then preached a revival meeting there, and God really did seem to work. And I'm thankful for that. Thank you for your prayers and for those that communicated throughout the week to me that you were praying for us. It really does mean a lot to know we're being thought of and grateful for, for your prayers. And God is just that he would use your pastor's family to be a blessing to another church. Um, it, it's a privilege. It really is. And it's nothing that we've done. Um, just, be, just be thankful that God gives us those kind of opportunities because it really is an extension of Eastside Baptist Church. They know very clearly where we're from and who we represent everywhere we go. And uh, we want to do our best, not just for the Lord, but also for Eastside Baptist Church. We're grateful to have the opportunities, but I'm glad to be back. My wife is still in Idaho. Uh, they, we, we, we barely made it back uh, because of weather and three days cancellations in a row. And so four of us made it back. And my wife is still be eating potatoes for another couple days, and so her and Caitlin were left there in Idaho, and I think there's a plan to get them back. There needs to be a plan. After one night of getting our, the kids I have ready for this morning service, I'm ready for my wife to be back. So, um, yeah, I think I, I don't even think I brought all of them actually. So, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Okay, Genesis 29. We're reading about Jacob and his his story. We'll, we'll look at some background. But I just want to, I'll be reading in verse 15. This is Jacob. He's gone to Haran, uh, journeyed through the wilderness for a month or more, 500 miles to get to his family in Haran. And uh, he comes to a well and he meets somebody named Rachel. And if you know anything about her, it ends up being Jacob's future wife. And uh, she is part of, Haran, of Laban's family. And so Laban uh, meets Jacob there and brings him into his home. And this is their interaction once he gets into the home. And, uh, and so we'll start here and go back and do some background later. But look at verse 15. Genesis 29, 15. And Laban, this is his uncle, and Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? That you name the price and I'll pay you that, is what he says. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, 
And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. There's a romantic, there's a romantic verse in the Bible. That's one. Seven years seemed like a few days to Jacob for the love that he had for Rachel. And verse 21, it says, And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, his maid, for a handmaid. And it came to pass. So I hope you understand what's happening. There's a switcheroo. Okay, it's the Bible word for the switch that took place here. A switcheroo. Instead of Rachel, Jacob was given Leah and he didn't realize it till the next morning. It says in verse 25, it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, it must not be so done in our country. To give the younger before the firstborn. It's very casually. And that verse, I really believe, is a statement of major conviction to Jacob. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it says in verse 27, Laban figures out another way to keep Jacob seven years. Fulfill her week, which represents, that means seven years. Work seven years for her and we'll give thee this also for the service, which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. And uh, the, the title of the message this morning is, is just simply this, what goes around comes around. What goes around comes around. Because Jacob has been a schemer, he's been a conniver, he's been a scam artist, he's been a a deceiver, he's been a supplanter, he's tripped other people up. And in this moment right here, what he deserves comes back to him. And I want to look at that truth this morning, and in a graceful way, this morning. Because what goes around does come around. There's a law called the law of sowing and reaping. And sometimes what we have, all the time, the, the seeds that we, that we sow will eventually, will come back and reap those very same things. And so I'm going to look this morning at some thoughts about the, from this truth that will be a help to us, I really believe, this morning. And a reminder about the kind of seeds we should be planting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you bless it. I thank you for your people. And Lord, I love them. You know how much I love them. I'm so thankful to be home and, uh, and yet I want this truth to make a difference this morning. It's not enough just to be around each other. God, I want you to do work. So I pray that you'd work in our midst and make change where need, change needs to be made. We pray that you'd work and do something special among us this morning. Bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As a kid, I, um, I remember I was probably six or seven years old. And I remember watching um, a commercial one time, and it was about a Nerf boomerang. Now, I don't know if you remember these, uh, but if you're a child of the 80s, you probably do. But it was a boomerang with three sides, and, and there was a commercial. And the commercial, there was a catchy song. Okay, that's probably really what caught my attention. 
It said, it went something like boom, 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 nerf, boomerang. Boom, 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 nerf, boom, over and over and over and over again. Boom, 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 nerf, boomerang. And I remember as a kid coming up to, I think it was my seventh birthday, I, I, I saw that and that's what I wanted for my birthday. I wanted a nerf, nerf, a boom, 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 nerf, boomerang for my seventh birthday. And I told my parents about it. So I remember um, my birthday that year, um, there, was, there was a present brought out. I knew the way it was wrapped. It just, and they didn't wrap, you know, it in three different things like that. But they, they put it in a box and I thought, this has got to be it. And sure enough, when I opened that present, it was a, it was a Nerf boomerang. Now, for some reason, um, I, I, I think what happened was that I opened it in the morning before school. My parents let me open a present. That's the one. So I took that Nerf boomerang to school. And I was going to go to school and show everybody my boom, 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 Nerf boomerang first thing. So I took it to school and I had it in my bag and my plan was to bust this thing out at recess. I was the first kid with a Nerf boomerang at school, which is very high status back then. So recess came about and and I I pulled that thing out and I went out to the recess to the schoolyard with everybody else. and, And everyone was, I remember, I was like the cool kid for one moment in my elementary school year experience. And, and I had this boomerang and I had a friend who was very, a very convincing debater. And he talked me into letting him throw it first. Yeah, you know what's about to happen, don't you? So, you know, I didn't really want him to because I hadn't even thrown it yet. I needed a big space to do it in recess. The yard there was the perfect place to do it. And he convinced me and I let him then take that boomerang and be the first to throw it. So I remember him launching that thing and I remember watching it and it, you know, in slow motion and all the glory, the Nerf boomerang, it starts to fly. But, you know, it doesn't do exactly what it's supposed to in that moment. Boomerangs are supposed to come back. Well, in that moment, the boomerang took a turn around this big evergreen tree. And on the other side of the tree was a building. And that boomerang went around the tree and we waited for it to come around the other side. And it never did. So I ran to the side of the the building where, where it went. I ran around the tree and I looked for that boomerang. And my friends followed me and, and they looked for the boomerang. And guess what? We never found the boom, 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 Nerf boomerang. I never even got to throw it. Yeah, there's still trauma from this, by the way, as you can tell. You know, that boomerang experience, you know, it was all a lie because I remember one of the lines in the song said, um, safe, soft, fun that never ends. And the first time I played with it, I proved that that is not true. So, you know, I've since thrown a boot Nerf boomerang, so I've worked through it. But, but I'm still fascinated. This was the only boomerang I had. And it, this isn't really a, a, a real, probably very well-made boomerang or one that actually works. But boomerangs really fascinate me. Because, you know, there's something about the physics and aerodynamics of a boomerang that... 
You know, the, the, the shape of an airplane wing basically is, is what's at play and that the air going over the top of the wing is fa- faster than the air going uh, underneath the wing and that causes lift and that causes a plane to fly and, and the shape of the boomerang causes that boomerang, if you throw it the right way, to come back to you and it always has blown my mind. I've always thought it was just amazing that a boomerang can do what a boomerang does. But you know, as, as I was thinking about our story today in Jacob, I really was reminded of a boomerang. Because it's true, not just with boomerangs, but it's also true in life that the things that we do, our words and our actions and our attitudes come back to us in, the re, in a re, way that's related to the way that we sent them out. Somebody said the game of life is like the game of boomerangs. It's deeds and words return to us sooner or later with astounding accuracy. Um, You've seen it before when someone um, has it coming and they get what's coming to them and, and it's kind of glorious, actually, unless it's you. You know, you think, well, that's what they deserve. That's what they get. And because God has set up a law and it is the law of sowing and reaping. It's a natural law that applies to many things, but it also applies to our words. It applies to my actions. It applies to your spirit. It applies to the things that you say and the things that you do and the attitudes that you have. And, and we deal tomorrow with the effects of the things that we do today. And in my opinion, one of the clearest examples in Scripture of the law of sowing and reaping is found right here in Genesis 29. The boomerang has been thrown out and it comes full circle and it hits Jacob right in the head. What goes around comes around. So just a little background of the story before we get to the application is to this point, Jacob has been a self-sufficient man who has tried to, who has struggled with trusting God to fulfill God's plans. Jacob is the kind of guy that that was always trying to do it himself. He was always trying to get it done on his own. And he wants the blessing. I mean, who, who wouldn't want the blessing of God? Who wouldn't want the promises that God has made? God even wants to give it to Jacob. But Jacob struggled to let the Lord just take care of it. And the last couple of times ago that we were in the text, in Genesis, we, we looked at how Jacob deceived his own father. He dressed up like his brother to receive the blessing and he manipulated Esau to, to get the birthright. And he dressed up like Esau and tricked his blind father in order to get the blessing. And because of that, he's now dealing with the consequences of his actions. And because of his actions, he had to leave his home. He had to leave his family. Esau wanted to kill Jacob for deceiving Isaac and stealing the blessing. And Rebekah hears that, that Esau wants to kill Jacob and, and she doesn't want Jacob to be killed. So, so she says, you should go to our family up in Haran. So she says, uh, she suggests to Isaac, she says, we don't want our son to marry one of the pagan daughters, one of the Canaanites. So let's let him go to, to Haran and find a wife up there in Haran and marry a daughter up there. And she knew that would appeal to Isaac because Esau had already married the daughters of Heth. He had already married uh, the, the la- the, some ladies there, some women in the land, and they didn't serve God. They didn't love God. And the Bible says in Genesis 26 that that was a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. 
So they're thinking, well, if we can get Jacob away from here, he can go up to where our family lives and find somebody among his extended family to marry somebody that won't pull his heart away from the Lord. So Isaac gives Jacob his blessing and Jacob goes, he goes on a 500 mile journey by himself through the wilderness to go to Haran up north in modern day Turkey. We know then that Jacob leaves his home and, and the last time we looked in Genesis, we were in chapter 28 and we see how Jacob comes to this place in the wilderness after a couple of days into his journey and he has an encounter with God. There's a vision from God and he sees in at night, he's laying his head on stones using those for pillows and, and he looks up and he sees a vision and, and the, there's a ladder and on that ladder there are angels ascending and descending and the Bible says, and the Lord was above the ladder. So we get a, he gets a glimpse of God's sovereignty and God's authority and the fact that these angelic beings are working for God constantly, doing his business. And by the way, that still happens today. God has angelic messengers, angelic beings that work on his behalf and we don't see it. It's something we accept by faith, but we know it's happening. It's still happening today. And that God has all power. God has all authority and he is over everything and he's working all the time. And Jacob gets a glimpse of this. But you know what, what really stands out to Jacob there in Genesis 28 is not just the might and power and authority of God. In his mind, he says, it's not really that. It's the fact that God would meet me right here in the wilderness. That a God like that would meet a sinner like me. That's what blew Jacob away. And friends, today, it's not really just the fact that God is full of, of, of power and that he is almighty and he's all-knowing and he's omnipresent and he's holy and he's all these things. That's amazing. It is amazing. But the fact that a God like that would meet a, meet a sinner like me right here in this place today, that's incredible to think about. Don't, don't forget or lose sight of the fact that God loves you and he meets you where you are. I mean, here's Jacob. He's blown it. I mean, he messed everything up. He's walking through the wilderness because of consequences that he's dealing with, his own actions and mistakes. And God, that's when God meets him there. And maybe you've come this morning and you say, well, you don't know my past. Well, I don't know your past, but God does. And let me tell you this. He still wants you to meet, meet you right here this morning. And, and Jacob says, I can't believe that God would meet me here. He calls the place the house of God. That God would meet me, that there's access here to God. This is incredible. And, and, and what it does for Jacob is, is it changes his mindset. It's, the Bible says that he worships God, then he sacrifices to God, then he makes a vow of obedience to God. And listen, when you truly meet God and you truly get a glimpse for his mercy to you as a sinner, it will change you. And it changed Jacob so much. Look at verse 1 of our chapter, chapter 29. Then Jacob went on his journey. And if you look up the, the, the phrase there in the Hebrew, uh, went on his journey, that phrase means that Jacob lifted up his feet. That he had renewed energy and enthusiasm and strength on his trip. On, he had a spring in his step is what the Bible is saying. He went on his journey with a new spring in his step and, and, he, and he goes 500 miles and he goes all the way to where, to where he meets his family up in Haran. And I, I really think that he had renewed energy that whole trip. I mean, he's like, God met with me. I've, I've had an experience with God at the house of God. Things are looking up for me. 
I mean, think about it. Things are looking up for Jacob. I mean, he, everything had been bad and he had consequences, but God met with him. And he said, things are looking up. I mean, things are going to get better from here. It can't get any worse. Oh, foolish man. Okay, so after journeying for a month, Jacob comes to Haran and, and, and he comes to this well. And in verse 5, he comes and says, and uh, he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. These shepherds say, We do know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. So here's Jacob, he travels up to Haran and he stops at a well and there are shepherds there and he says, do you know Laban? Is he doing well? And they said, yeah, we know him, he's doing well. As a matter of fact, his daughter, Rachel, is about to come to the well. And, and so that's got to start getting his attention, the providence of God at work in Jacob's life. And, and we know Rachel is Jacob's future wife and he doesn't know that yet, but you know that he is starting to see what I love is that Jacob starts to see that if I just let God do what he's going to do, he's perfectly capable of taking care of these things for me. I don't have to be the one that works these things out. God will do it if I'll just trust him. So he meets Rachel in verse 9. While he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And that's interesting because it says Rachel kept her father's sheep. That's not the kind of job you would think a young lady would have. But what it shows us is that Rachel's a hardworking young lady. She's somebody that has responsibility and she brings the, she, she takes care of the sheep and she's coming to get water for the flock and water for the home. She's a hardworking young lady and apparently she's very pretty because look what Jacob does in verse 10. It came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother brother there's something about Rachel that catches Jacob's attention and you know how this works you know before when he got to the well he's probably thinking well that's a pretty big stone to move from the front of the well well Rachel comes with sheep and suddenly he's like hey hold my staff and he's rolling up his sleeve that's that happens with us guys like we got, if we have an audience, there's, it's pretty much no end to what we can do. And we may end up in the chiropractor the next morning, but it'll be pretty impressive in the moment. <laughs> so he moves this stone. It, Rachel turns Jacob into Superman. He moves the stone out of the, the way of the well's mouth, and he waters the whole flock. And then in verse 11, it says, And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And you say, well, I can't believe they're already smooching. No, it wasn't that kind of a kiss. You know, this is a cultural thing. It's a cultural greeting. I mean, maybe he was thinking, maybe it was a little bit more. But at that point, it was just cultural. He sees her. He gives her a kiss. And we know he's not just, he's not just you know, scheming now. Because the Bible says he lifted up his voice and he wept. Meaning he knows God's working. He's watching God do something that he didn't know God was going to do and God's doing it. And he's thankful. He lifted up his voice and he wept and he says, God, you are taking care of me. He tells Rachel who he is. And so she runs home to tell Laban, her, her father. And it's so much like Isaac and Rebecca's story. But Laban comes, verse 13. 
And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all of these things. And Laban said to him, surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. And then verse 15, we already read in Laban. Um, said unto Jacob, because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And at, at this moment, things are really looking good. I mean, Jacob is like, man, this is incredible that, that all these things have happened to me and, and I'm here now in my family's home and, and I'm making money and he's, he, wants to, he wants to tell me what I, he says, you just tell me what you want to make. You name your price. And not only that, he has his eye on one of the daughters. Laban has two daughters and the name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And and I don't know exactly what that means. I just know what I do know is that Jacob was more attracted to Rachel than he was to Leah. He was, this was the the one for him, he, he wanted to be with Rachel and Leah was tender-eyed. I don't know if that means that she had something going on with her eyes or, or just in contrast to Rachel, they just weren't on the same level. We don't know, but we do know that Jacob loves Rachel and wants to marry Rachel. And he's so committed to that relationship that he goes to Laban and he says, listen, I love Rachel and I will serve you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Well, that's the, one of the reasons God brought him here. They, they, to find a bride. And this, this, this young lady, or I don't know how old she is, but because Jacob's not a spring chicken, by the way. Jacob's older already. And so we don't know much about her, but we know she's a hard worker. She's obviously a beautiful young lady. And Jacob is very attracted to her. And he's so willing to serve for this young lady. He says, I'll work seven years to marry her. You know, this is a sign of... Of, of, of a change in Jacob, I think. Jacob's not like, okay, how can I sneak off with her in the middle of the night and head home? Because that might have been the old Jacob, but there's something different going on with Jacob now. He says, no, I want to do this the right way. And I want to serve, listen, Laban, I'll work seven years if you'll let me marry your younger daughter. And Laban acts like that's a good plan. He says, it's better that I give her to thee than to some other guy. So yeah, that's fine. Abide with me. And Jacob served these seven years. And, and, and these seven years felt like hardly any time. It says they felt like to him like a few days. And you know, this is like a Hallmark movie. You know, except everything's backwards. Because in a Hallmark movie, things are bad at the beginning. And they all end up perfectly. Well, in this story, things are great at the beginning. But they don't end up the way that you know, Hallmark movies should. And if Hallmark movies ended up like this, um, it wouldn't be around very long. People want happy endings. But this isn't the ending Jacob predicted. Because remember, seven years before this, get, remember what he did? He threw a boomerang. He threw a boomerang and he thought, that I, I've escaped the consequences. He threw a boomerang seven years before and he said, yeah, I threw that boomerang and I did that thing that I shouldn't have done. And, and listen, seven years later now, I've got a really good job. Uh, I'm, I've been working with Laban. I found the woman of my dreams. Seven years later, he's about to marry Rachel, the woman of his dreams. And everything has worked out for him. And he thinks, man, this is wonderful. 
I, I mean, God, thank you. You're such a merciful God. You've allowed me to, to, to even make mistakes and yet come back and from it, now I, I get to marry the woman of my dreams and you're building my wealth and things are going well. My seven years are up. It's time to get married. And Laban says, okay, yeah, here's the green light. Go ahead. And at this point, everything has come together. He had a Bethel experience. He met God in the wilderness. God changed his life. I mean, he now has a spring in his step and he's building wealth and and things are just going well. But that boomerang. See, the morning after the wedding, Jacob wakes up to find out that Uncle Laban has pulled a fast one on him. He wakes up next to Leah, not Rachel. And you ask, well, how could that happen? And I say, I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I've always tended to believe that there was probably alcohol involved. It's at night, you know, maybe the power went out and you just, you know, I don't know. What I do know is that this, that this is not, uh, these are not disconnected or unconnected events in his life. What, what I know is that seven years before he had thrown a boomerang. And, and he wakes up the morning after his wedding and, and he thinks that everything is going well and, and yet he finds out that he's not the only schemer in the family. Because Laban has the gene as well, apparent, apparently. And you know what? He, so he wakes up and he, and he goes directly to Laban after realizing what had happened. He goes directly to Laban and he confronts him about it. And he basically, he says, what have you done to me? What, what, I, I served for Rachel and, and, and why have you tricked me? Why have you lied? Why have you beguiled me? And Laban said, eh, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Almost casually, almost like, I don't really care. I mean, that's not, this is not the way we do it. And, you know, at that point, I might would even say, Jacob, why don't you just, why don't you just punch him in the nose? I mean, he has really done, he's really pulled a fast one on you. Jacob, why don't you do something about this? And I know that's not the spiritual approach, but you would think that Jacob would stand up for himself, that Jacob would say something, that Jacob would have a response. And, you know, and here's my speculation. Why didn't he do something? Why didn't he say something? Well, because I believe, I wonder if when Laban said, sorry, oldest daughter marries first. I just wonder if in that moment that Jacob, if he didn't see the face of his father. I wonder if in that moment that Jacob wasn't reminded about years before when there was a dispute about birth order in his own house. And, and uh, Isaac and Esau said, well, the oldest son should get the blessing. And so Jacob, though, didn't want that to happen. So he, he dressed up. He pretended to be his older brother. Are you seeing the connections here? He pretended to be Esau and tricked his father. Well, now Laban has, has dressed Leah up to be Rachel, and now J- Laban has tricked Jacob. You know, and his own schemes, his own conniving have now officially come back seven years before he was the one deceiving others about who the oldest sibling is. And maybe in this moment when Laban said, oh, it's not, it's not the way it's done in our country, oldest daughter marries first. I just wonder if he went back and he saw his dad, Isaac, full of sorrow, trembling at the discovery that he'd been deceived by his own son. Maybe in that moment, he heard the bitter wail of his brother Esau, realizing that the blessing was no longer his and it was gone. And at that moment, I wonder if Jacob knew that boomerang. 
that he through seven years before had returned and hit him right in the head. And it's here seven years later that the unavoidable law of sowing and reaping catches up to Jacob. And I believe that Jacob doesn't respond because he knows he's getting what he deserves. And these events, these events then begun a snowball that lasts for 13 more years. You know, you might think it works out because, well, he still gets to marry Rachel by serving seven more years for her. But that's not God's plan. I mean, I know these things were going on, culturally speaking, but it's God's plan for one man, one woman for life, and that's it. That's the way it was from the beginning. So they're doing these things, and it's not the way God originally planned it to be. Not only that, but marrying sisters, I can't imagine how that could ever be a good idea. I mean, sisters, they become, these two sisters become bitter enemies. They, they hate each other because it's obvious that Jacob loves Rachel. Rachel can't have children, and so Jacob has children with her handmaid, and, and as if God would be pleased with that, he has children with Leah's handmaid. And I know, listen, I know that his wealth grows. I know that he has 12 sons, and, but it's all bittersweet because what started as a few days turns into 20 years of challenges. He never sees his mother alive again, as far as we know. He has to deal with quarreling wives. He has to deal with a cheating uncle who does him wrong. And I wonder if Jacob often asks himself, why didn't I just trust God's plan? Why didn't I just allow him to take care of this? Because every time things got worse, you have to think, I get what I deserved. The law of sowing and reaping is certain. You can't avoid it. What goes around comes around. The boomerang always returns. I want to turn to Galatians 6 and just look at a few principles about sowing and reaping that I think will be a help to us this morning. What goes around comes around. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and these are verses you're familiar with, I know, but there are four things about sowing and reaping that we, we should all understand. And the first is this. Let's read Galatians 6, 7 through 9. It says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Four truths about reaping and sowing and reaping we need to understand. The first is this, you reap what you sow. See, Jacob deceived and he lied. And I want you to lock in because the application of this is very helpful. Jacob deceived and he lied and he tricked. He was deceived and he was lied to and he was tricked by Laban. And it's amazing. Jacob lied to his father about being Esau. And if we look ahead in the future of his life, one day his sons lie to him about their own brother Joseph. I mean, so these things come full circle. And you look at Galatians 6, 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The truth is you reap what you sow. If you sow seeds of the flesh, if you just give the flesh what it wants, the only fruit you, you'll have will be in this life. You'll only have fruit in this life, fruit of the flesh. If you sow spiritual seeds, if you live to please God, you'll have fruit that remains, fruit in eternity. That's the point that he's making. And listen, I don't understand how it all works. I just know that it does. If you plant tomato seeds, you get tomatoes. 
Not squash, not carrots, not anything else. You get tomatoes. And right now, every one of us in this room, we're all planting seeds. And some of us are planting seeds of righteousness. And some are planting seeds of evil. And we are the ones deciding what seeds we plant. And it is an inescapable law that you will reap what you sow. And this morning, I want you to just hear this. What you plant today, you will be eating tomorrow. So if you plant seeds today of a certain kind of fruit, you will eat that fruit later. And now listen, I understand not all bad things are a result of our planting wrong seeds. Because Job, a lot of things happened to Job that weren't results of his seed planting. I get that. That's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making though is if you plant bad seeds, you will reap bad fruit. And if you plant good seeds, you will reap good fruit. You always reap, we always reap what we sow. And we say, well, I don't know about this. Well, but it's a law. It's as certain as the law of gravity. You know, we, we, most of us respect and fear the law of gravity, but the law of sowing and reaping is just as certain. And, and the difference between the two is this. If you deny the truth of the law of gravity, you'll know it immediately. I mean, if I go up to the top of this building and I say, I don't believe that the law of gravity will affect me, I'll know very soon that it does. But see, the law of sowing and reaping, it's just as sure, um, but it's different in that we don't get the consequences right away. So the law of sowing and reaping is just as real as the law of gravity, but because we may not see the results of the law of sowing and reaping until five years down the road, then we treat it like it's not valid, but it is. And if we all treated, if we treated the law of gravity like we treat the law of sowing and reaping, we would all be dead. Because we have respect for the law of gravity, but we don't have respect for the law of sowing and reaping. You know, you reap what you sow, but not only that, you reap more than you sow. Galatians 6, 8 says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If you've planted a garden, you understand this. Let's say that one tomato produces 20 tomatoes in a season. So compare, compare, compare one tomato seed to 20 tomatoes. You reap more than you sow. And the seeds that you're planting that seem so small will be multiplied when the fruit starts to come. See, fleshly seeds of criticism and anger and lust and bitterness and unkindness and ingratitude and disobedience and laziness, those seeds seem so small. They seem so small today. And they're small seeds now, but this law indicates that one day they'll produce fruit, much more fruit abounding in your life later. Now listen, though, it's not all bad, though, because there are also good seeds to sow. And if you sow good seeds, small seeds, like walking with God, like seeking God on a daily basis, like opening your Bible and reading it, like prayer, like being faithful to God's house as a priority for your family, those small seeds will be multiplied fruit later as well. You reap more than you sow. Like Psalm 125, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. It says, he that goeth forth bearing precious, precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. It started out as seeds, but it turns into sheaves. So listen, what I'm asking today is what kind of fruit do you want a lot of? 
Do you want a lot of eternal fruit that lasts for God in eternity? Or do you just want temporary fruit that you can only enjoy or experience while you're here? Because the choice of the fruit is yours. And you, you don't produce the fruit, but you plant the seeds. And the seeds that you plant today will determine the kind of fruit that you get in your life tomorrow. The size of the seed doesn't matter, but the type of the seed does matter. And what kind of fruit will you have tomorrow based on the seeds you're planting today? If you want lasting joy, plant good seeds. If you want to be miserable, plant seeds of the flesh. It's yours. It's your choice. So you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. Jacob learned this, verse 9, let us not be wearying in well-doing, that in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Paul is telling the Galatians not to give up because the reaping eventually comes. And that's a positive, but it's also a negative. It took Jacob seven years to to realize the effects of this law. Sometimes we think, well, I blew it, but there were no consequences. I escaped. I'm 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 the exception. I knew I could avoid it. I just wait it out. No, wait. Spiritually speaking, every seed we plant bears fruit. And, and it may not catch up to you here. And listen, this is the dangerous part. Because we think, well, if I do this and nobody ever sees it, I'll never have to bear the consequences. And so I can just keep doing this, sweeping it under the rug. Nobody will ever know. And I'll be fine. I'll be the one that avoids it all. And listen, first, you probably won't be because those things have a tendency to come to light. Be sure your sins will find you out, the Bible says. But not only that, someday you're going to stand before a holy God who heard every word you said and saw every deed that you did and he knew every attitude you ever had and he knew every word you said unkindly to somebody else. He saw all of it. And when you stand before him as a child of God, there's nothing that he misses. So we may not bear the fruit or consequences of the seeds we plant while we're here on earth. And you may get away with it down here. But someday when you stand before God, you will not get away with it. He sees all of it. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. And I'm telling you, there are things that come back. Sometimes with my children, this really gets me. Because I remember as a kid doing things that my, with my parents, disobedience, an attitude, a spirit, something I snuck around with and thought I got away with. And now I have children. And years later, I thought, boy, okay, that didn't come back to get me. And then I look in the face of one of my kids and I see myself and I think, well, I'm getting what I deserve because I did it with my parents. And now my children at times do it with me in the same exact way. Listen, be not deceived. God's not mocked. When we live as if God won't punish our sins, it's as if we mock him and say, well, I will be the exception. And these, these laws are pretty hard, honestly. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, you reap later than you sow. If you sow bad seeds, you bear bad fruit. If you, bear, if you sow good seeds, you'll bear, you bear good fruit. It's a good thing. But listen, there's one more truth about sowing and reaping that we need to hear, and I think this is where we find our hope. See, you reap while you sow. Meaning, you know, he says in verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, but in due season we shall reap if we faint not. See, what happens is in our lives, we'll, we'll spend some time where we sow bad seeds. 
And I've, I've talked about this principle before, but I want to bring it up again. But there are times when you sow bad seeds and you bear bad fruit. And so if I've sowed bad seeds there and I'm bearing bad fruit right here, then I know how that works. I get what I deserve. But there will be times where then I start sowing good seeds. And, and then I will eventually bear good, good fruit because of the good seeds. But listen, pay attention here. But there's this part in here, this section right here, the overlap section, where I'll plant bad seeds and I'll, re- I'll reap bad fruit. And while I'm reaping bad fruit, I may have a time where I start go- sowing good seeds. And that's a good thing. But it doesn't always mean that, that I immediately, if I start sowing good seeds, that I don't have to reap bad fruit anymore. Because there's this time in our lives where we've reaped bad fruit or sowed bad seeds and now we're reaping bad fruit and we're trying to do right. And we're trying to sow good seeds, but we're still dealing with the consequences of the seeds we planted years before. And what I'm telling you, what, what, what Paul is telling the Galatians is, it's in this season, this overlap right here, that you don't be weary, don't give up, don't faint, don't be weary in well-doing. Just keep planting good seeds, and eventually you'll come to the end of those consequences of the bad seeds, and you'll just get to enjoy the good fruit. Amen. But what happens is too many of God's people, they planted bad seeds and they're bearing bad fruit and they're trying to do right and they're trying to turn things around. But in this section right here, they're still dealing with the bad fruit. And they think, well, God's not, God doesn't do what he says. God doesn't bless like he says. He says, I would, I would enjoy some reward from doing right, but that's not happening at all. So I give up. They get weary and well-doing and they faint. But we have to understand there will come a day where you are no longer bearing the, the bad fruit from the bad seeds. Now listen, those consequences may last your whole life. There may be things that you have to deal with for a long time. But what I can tell you is this. If you'll start sowing good seeds today, there will be a day where you get to enjoy some good fruit too. Don't give up right here. Because you reap what you sow and you reap more than you sow and you reap later than you sow. But, and you'll also sometimes reap while you sow. But someday you'll just enjoy the fruit of the seeds you've sown. What difference should this truth make? Well, if I can remember this boomerang, it should help me avoid planting bad seeds. Let this boomerang, this visual right here, let this remind you that the next time you want to have a wrong spirit about something, you're going to choose not to. Because every act is a seed planted. Let this remi- visual remind you that you, should, you shouldn't gossip about other people. Because be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Teenager, let this visual remind you that, that you should avoid a rebellious spirit because the seeds you plant as a young person with your parents, I'm telling you, someday you will reap those very things as a parent yourself. Let this visual remind you as an employee to have a good spirit and attitude toward your authority because you may not always agree with what they do, but someday you'll be in a position of authority and you'll reap from the seeds you planted as somebody under authority to somebody else telling you every single seed that you plant will bear fruit someday that you'll deal with husbands let this prevent you from from giving in to your anger at home because your angle anger will produce something later that you'll have to deal with employee let this prevent you from getting wrapped up in the office drama that could hurt your testimony 
let this visual remind you that someday this boomerang is a picture of our lives. And if that's a picture of my life, I, I don't want to plant bad seeds because I don't want to eat bad fruit. Amen. On the flip side, let this remind you to plant good seeds. Parents, allow this visual to help you remain diligent when that child training gets hard. Because it does. But if this truth is real, if this principle is true, then the seeds I'm planting with my children, no matter how hard it is, someday the boomerang will return and I'll get to enjoy the fact that I stayed faithful to child training and discipline. Let this visual remind you to plant good seeds in your marriage. And you know, it may always, not always be easy, but, but, but if you keep planting good seeds with your spouse, someday you'll enjoy a fruitful marriage. Let it drive you to put God first as a family because your kiddos are watching. And if you plant seeds right now to let them know God is first, someday you'll reap some good fruit. Christian, may this visual remind you to pray faithfully for your brothers and sisters in Christ because someday you're going to need that kind of prayer from them. So plant seeds that you'll enjoy the fruit of someday. Christian, allow this visual right here to keep you planting gospel seeds so that you can enjoy reaping a harvest of souls someday yourself. Listen, the boomerang is real. Bad seeds, good seeds, they all produce fruit that someday we all will eat. So I guess you need to decide. You want fruit that's so bitter you can't eat it? Or do you want fruit so good you'll want to come back for more? Because the choice is yours. The boomerang's always coming back. What you plant today, you'll be eating tomorrow. The game of life is like the game of boomerangs. Deeds and words return to us sooner or later with astounding accuracy. How true it is. So my challenge to you today is plant seeds that will produce the kind of fruit you want in the future. Fruits of the Spirit, missions investment, faithfulness to God and His church... Faithfulness to your spouse, witnessing to other, investing in God's work, being a blessing to other people. The choice is yours. And listen, the most important seed you can plant is the seed of faith. Because there are some people in this room right now, and you think that you're going to work your way to get pleased God, but you've never settled your salvation with God. The most important seed you can plant is to plant your seed of faith in Jesus Christ. To place it in him. Because listen, you're a sinner. And your sin puts you at odds with God. And you deserve, according to Romans, you deserve death because of sin. Death, I mean by death, I mean separation from God. Eternal separation. That's what every sinner deserves. But Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on a cross in our place for us. As a sacrifice for us. And he has done all the work. The Bible says, he said, it is finished. Then he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, showing us he has victory over sin and death. He's done all the work. And you know what he asks from us? He doesn't ask for a lifetime of, of hard work and sacrifice so that we can earn our way because we couldn't. No, what he asks from us is a small seed, a seed of faith. And all we have to do is believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And guess what we get to reap? eternal life and if you'll just this morning say you know what i want to live with god forever in heaven who doesn't all it requires from you is simply plant the seed of faith it's not work 
It's not your effort on your part. It's you simply choosing to respond to the revealed truth of God's word. That you're a sinner. Jesus Christ died for your sin. And he wants to give you eternal life in heaven. Would you do that this morning? Would would you place your faith in Christ? There's no decision that results in more eternal fruit than that one right there. He wants to save you. Christian, what kind of seeds have you been planting? Have Have you been sowing seeds of corruption? Living your life for yourself? Have you been planting seeds of gossip and discord with other people? Have you been at odds with somebody? And these seeds of critical spirits and rebellion have been in your heart. Listen, someday you're going to have to reap the fruit of the seeds planted. So what I say today is let's just start planting good seed. I mean, everybody in here just decide, you know what, I'm going to plant good seed. I'm going I'm to walk with God and I'm going to serve him and I'm going to be faithful to his church and I'm going to be faithful to my spouse and I'm going to treat my children with kindness and I'm going to start treating other people like I'd want to be treated. I'm going to start planting gospel seeds. Listen, it's time for God's people to start planting good seeds so that someday we can bear good fruit. And then for those of us in the overlap that were dealing with the consequences of bad seed earlier, don't quit while it's hard. Because someday you'll be through that section of difficulty and you'll be enjoying some good fruit based on the seeds you've planted. There's some, every one of us is on this journey somewhere. I don't know where you are, but what I do know is it takes a commitment to plant good seeds. It's not easy. But I'm telling you this, it's rewarding. It's worth it. Would you commit today to start planting good seeds in some area in your life, whether salvation or at work or at home, in your Christian life, wherever it is, it's time to start planting good seeds because the boomerang always comes back. That can be a bad thing, but it's also a very good thing because when we plant good seeds, God lets us enjoy some good fruit. Let's stand together. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We have what we call an invitation at this time, meaning you have an opportunity to respond to the truth. I want to encourage you this morning. If the, if the Lord's prompting you to respond to the kind of seeds you've been planting, then don't delay in your response. Let's get some things right with the Lord this morning. And for those in here who may not know about if they're saved or not, I'm telling you, you can plant that seed this morning and you can enjoy a life, an eternal life of fruit with God. But you have to take the first step. He's already given you truth. You simply have to believe. Would you be willing to come to Jesus Christ and place your faith in him for salvation this morning? Christian, what kind of seeds have you been planting? And it's time to decide, I'm going to start planting good seeds. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us, continue to work in our midst this morning. We pray that you do a work today and help us to be changed, transformed, just like Jacob was. Lord, help us to be transformed. And then for those of us that are dealing with the consequences of bad seeds and bad fruit... Help us to be not weary and well-doing, but help us to say, you know what? If I just keep planting good seeds someday, it'll, it'll start to turn around. And I'm just going to keep my faith, keep planting the good seeds. Lord, wherever we are in this timeline or wherever we are in our lives, I pray that you'd help each of us to respond in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.